Last weekend, we celebrated the end of our 40 days of growth and engagement, incredible season, and uh, so many, so many uh, just wonderful breakthroughs. We, uh, we had launched 19 growth groups, which was awesome. If you led one of those, thank you so much. If you participated in one of those, just thanks for jo- jumping in with us. We had over 40 people get baptized. We had a, a really large Freedom Day. Over 100 people came to that. And man, in this past month, we got to launch out two team leaders, one to Oaxaca, Mexico, as Natalie said, to launch all people's Oaxaca. But then we had a, a monumental thing that happened this week, our First church plant, which was All People's Tijuana, just launched their first church plant, All People's Peru. And so I've been talking back and forth with my dear friends, the team leaders, Jaime and Carmen Padilla. Uh, thank the Lord for Google Translate, so I make sure I actually understand what we're saying to each other as we're communicating fully in Spanish. But it is awesome that God has been doing so many great things. And as we've had such incredible forward momentum I was really reflecting on this thought of, Lord, how do, we, how do we contain that? How do we maintain that kind of momentum? Because one of the things that has been very sad for me in this past year is how many Christian leaders, how many pastors, how many missionaries have given up. And, and of course, not just leaders, but so many Christians, many of you had this experience of watching people that had walked with the Lord uh, maybe you saw it on social media, maybe you just lost contact with them, but different Christians who just really gave up on their faith. The scripture calls it shipwreck, their faith. And so I was really talking with the Lord about that because, Lord, we want to be a church that keeps going, that presses in even through the hard times, that perseveres even amidst the trials. And as I was thinking about that, I had a, an illustration that came to mind from micro soccer or peewee soccer. And I've learned a lot through coaching sports through the years, but um, has everyone watched a micro soccer game? It's like the three and four-year-olds. It's more akin to bumblebees swarming a nest than it is to an actual sport. Uh, All the kids just kind of swarm around hoping they kick a ball, and the parents are like unusually ecstatic uh, about uh, something that's really not a sport. But you have these different characters in, in micro soccer that I just love. The, my, one of my favorite is the flower picker. The, the, the kid who actually doesn't even know that there's a soccer game going on. They're just absolutely enamored by this big green grass field and they're finding flowers and picking them up. And, and then you always have the joke teller, like the kid who totally distracts another kid on a team by just telling him jokes and they're like cutting up the whole time. And and, and, and the parents are yelling, like, go to the ball! But they're, like, just totally lost in their own world. Um, you, you have the butterfly chaser, the kid who's just chasing after things in the air. Um, my, my favorite, I think, is the parent pleaser, who the, the kid who runs up, kicks the ball once, and instead of following it, the parents cheer. And so they turn and look at the parents, and they're like this. Um, you, you always have the bulldozer, the kid who never kicks the ball but just runs over kids. So you have all these different, different characters in, in micro soccer, but I was reflecting on, on one of the seasons. I coached micro soccer because I had four kids. I think I coached all of their teams. So this one year, I had this one kid that showed up, and, and you can just tell when a kid is going to actually be an athlete. So I was excited about this kid. That Sometimes you can tell by looking at the parents, the dad showed up 
in like really nice soccer cleats. And you're like, what 40-year-old has nice soccer cleats? So I'm thinking, this kid is going to be a baller. And the crazy thing is, this kid probably had the most natural ability, but every time something didn't go their way, they would pull themselves off of the field. So for example, if I gave a drill that the kid didn't like as a coach, all of a sudden the kid would just run off the field. Or if another kid said something that they didn't like, they would run off the field. Or if they didn't do what they wanted to do, like in a drill, they didn't kick the ball and the goal, they didn't make it, they would just run off the field. And so these parents, he had these really loving parents, but they spent their whole time just chasing this kid, trying to talk him into coming back into the game. And and I'll I'll never forget, I, I would always try in the games to put this child in but this child would always pull himself out, and, and I, would, I would be trying to coax him back. Everyone would be trying to coax him back. But the kid kept pulling himself off the field. You know, the kingdom of God is not like a professional soccer match. The kingdom of God is not even like a high school soccer match. The kingdom of God is really like micro soccer because everyone gets to play. It's not just for professionals. It's not just for a person with this skill or, or that attribute, it's really for everyone. But what you notice about micro soccer is that only you can disqualify yourself. And so I, I, as I was asking the Lord this week, God, why do some people make it and others don't? I, I, I got this phrase. Well, but before I, I tell you about this phrase, you know, I thought through so many different things that happen to people as Christians. I thought about people that grow up with really hard family situations. Maybe they grew up without a father. They grew up in a divorce. But I have seen so many in the last 25 years of ministry that had very challenging, even horrific families. But by God's grace, they overcame and are totally walking with God and being used in their destiny. I thought about people who have had all kinds of challenges. Maybe it was a death in the family. Maybe it was a financial crisis. But I thought, you know, through these challenges, really there's no challenge that someone can't overcome through the power of God. Then I thought of even sin. You know, and and we spend a lot of time in church warning about sin, and rightly so, and I'm not trying to make light of sin, but when you start thinking through Scripture, about the forefathers of faith. You you think about David, who was known as a man after God's own heart, and yet he committed adultery, and he was a murderer. You think about Moses. We're gonna focus in on on the story of of some of Moses' life today. Man, he had an anger problem and ended up killing someone. You think about Rahab, who makes it into the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews, and you think, she was a prostitute. You think about Peter. We talked about Peter several weeks ago, and you're like, he actually denied Jesus. So actually, there isn't a sin that disqualifies you from walking with God or living out his purposes. But do you know the one thing that disqualifies you? This phrase came to mind. Do not harden your heart. Do not harden your heart. I want to talk to you today on the topic of Do not harden your heart because you are the only person who can pull yourself out of the race that God has set forth for you to run. 
So let's look at Hebrews chapter 3, because when I heard this phrase, do not harden your heart, I thought, you know, I think that comes from an actual specific verse, and it's found in Hebrews chapter 3, so let me start in verse 1. It says, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high Priest, He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Let me pause just for a second before I go on. Do you know who the book of Hebrews was written to? Hebrews! Yep, that's it. That was a, that was a tricky one. The book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrew people. Who were the Hebrew people? They were God's chosen people. They came from a man named Abraham that got called out on a journey. He left everything that made sense. He, he went on this journey not knowing where he was going, but God speaks to him and says, Abraham, if you'll follow me and if you'll leave your father's household and your people and your land, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. And so from this one man and his tiny little family, he created this family of millions of people. And then he said, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make you great and all peoples are going to be blessed through you. So it's this covenant people, the Hebrew people. And this is who God is speaking to because God did these amazing things. And we can learn lessons because through Jesus, we're grafted into this chosen people. You are the chosen people of God. And he actually calls us brothers and sisters, holy brothers and sisters, it says, Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. And Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope to which, in which we glory. So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is, what, this is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray. And they have not known my ways, so I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but be encouraged, but encourage one another as long as the day is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end. As has just been said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who are they who heard and rebelled? Were they not those Moses led out of Egypt and with whom he was angry for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness, and to whom did God swear they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. The Bible warns us to not harden our hearts so that we can actually enter into 
the rest enter into your proverbial promised land, that you can fulfill the call of God in your life in this generation. And that's what I want to talk about today, because only you can tend to your heart. Only you have the power to keep your heart soft. And so today I want to unpack what does that look like? Because the enemy is always coming and trying to have us harden our heart. And here's the problem. In life, we reap what we sow. So if you harden your heart, you will reap hardness back to you, which makes life incredibly challenging. But if you live with a soft heart, you're always open to receive the love of God. You're always open to receive the love of other people. And you're always free to give God love and free to love everyone that comes across your path. So let me set up this situation. Let me take you back. Hebrews 3 is a New Testament book. But this season of testing where they harden their hearts, this comes from an Old Testament account in the book of Numbers that I want to unpack for you for a moment. We're reading a lot of scripture this morning, but so important. Numbers 14, one through 10 is where we find ourselves. It says, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. Now this is millions of people, so can you imagine the sound that's coming, this weeping, this is not a fun time in community. All the Israelites, it says all the Israelites, grumbled against Moses and Aaron. So imagine some of you life group leaders that you're like, man, that was a hard night at life group. Imagine millions of people grumbling against your leadership. And the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taking this plunder. Wouldn't it be better to just go back to Egypt? But they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Can you imagine what Moses is thinking? He's like, guys, I just rescued you. I just, God just used me to walk you through this, this Red Sea. He just demolished your, your, your foes by crashing in the Red Sea. He's been feeding us, and you want to go back? And then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with this, he'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Can I, can I just tell you that God has good plans for you? He has good plans for you. He knows how he created you. He knows what is best for you. But it's always a temptation to go back to the past. You jump out on journey with God. Then there's a test. It's always going to happen. And we always look back. This is why people leave the faith. Because they get scared. They get frustrated. They get challenged in the, in the testing. And they go, you know what? I just want to go back. I just want to go back to how it was. Only 
Do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. And that's not like doing some drugs. Stoning them was picking up rocks and pounding in your skull. That's a bad day of leadership right there. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. I want to talk to you about three people that you're going to be tempted to harden your heart towards. I want you to take notes today because I guarantee you this is going to happen to you. Scripture says that all Scripture is used for our teaching and our instruction is profitable for you to live out the life that God has called you to live. So there are going to be three people that I can guarantee you you're going to be tempted to harden your heart's Towards how many? There's going to be three different types of people. Please make note of this. It was all shown in Numbers 14, 1 through 10. The first and most important, this is your greatest test in life. The first person you're going to be tempted to harden your heart towards is the Lord. You will be tempted to harden your heart towards the Lord. No one makes it through life without going through this test. You will be tempted to harden your heart towards the Lord. It was the first test that happened in the book of Genesis. The enemy comes, the serpent comes and says, did God really say that? this? Did he really say that you shouldn't eat from this fruit? Did he really? The enemy is always trying to make you think that God is holding out his best from you. And you will have different situations where it looks like your whole life is over. Every single person I know has to deal with disappointment in their life. And our first test is, will you harden your heart towards the Lord? Why do we harden our hearts? Because you didn't get the job you wanted. Why do we harden our hearts? Because you didn't get the spouse you wanted, or your, your relationship ended, or your child rebels, or you look, and why is money always tight for you? Or why am I sick? I, I remember as a, a, a child, or as a young teenager, I had given my life to Jesus. I was in church every week. I, liked, I went to this big public school where so few people actually loved God and, and so few people, I mean, guys, I tried to not cuss in life. I was a non-cusser. I mean, I was one of those kids that tried it a couple times and even my lost friends looked at me and were like, that doesn't work for you. <laughs> so I was, like, I was trying to be a good kid. And yet I get stricken with a heart problem and I get knocked out of my dream of being an athlete and I'm, I'm in the hospital laying on my bed. I can't even get up by myself. I have tubes attached to me and I'm going, why, Lord? Why me? I'm your guy. I'm your non-cussing kid, Lord. Why, why is this happening to me? It, this, will, this will happen to you where you look and say, but God, I, I gave you my life, but God, I'm a Christian, but God, I didn't do what all these other guys did, so why me? And the test in that moment is, will you harden your heart? Happened to me again at 40 years old. 40 years old, I'm, I, all, all of a sudden things just start, the wheels start coming off in, in, in the church, and I, I have this person totally betray me and, and, and trying, to, trying to hurt 
us. And, I'm, and, and all of a sudden, I'm getting the accusation from things. And I'm like, and, but I'm not, willing to def- I'm not willing to point someone else. So I start getting attacked. And then people start leaving and saying things about me. And I'm like, why, God? I, I, and I actually, I, I remember talking to a few of my leaders. And I'm like, I'm being faithful to my wife. I don't have an addiction. I spend time with Jesus every day. Why is this happening to me? That will happen to you in life. Good news from a pastor today. (laughs) Every person will go through a season of testing. The Israelites, they're delivered from Egypt and all of a sudden there is no water. And they're thinking it would be better for us to go back to captivity. And at that moment, the question is, are you going to harden your heart towards the Lord? Are you going to peace out or are you going to press in? What are you going to do in that moment? That is the greatest test of our life. Number two, the second group, the second group that will harden our heart towards is our leaders. It says this, it says, all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The enemy works overtime in our minds and our hearts to make us accuse our leaders. I hope that you talk about this some more this, this next week, Jeff, because you had this killer quote that I wanted to ask you for, but Jeff's going to preach next weekend, so I thought, let him have it. Uh, I didn't want to steal it from him and then him accuse his leader. All right. <laughs> Through godly leadership, I have been protected and I can't tell you how many times that I was about to do something and my leaders were like, hey, don't do this. They spoke into my life. Leadership protects you. It, it forms a wall of protection around you. That's why the enemy wants to get you at odds with your leaders so you step out unprotected. Uh, I can't tell you how many times my leaders ha- have, have helped me come into a place of peace or rest. I, I would just keep pushing, and, and, and I would have one of my pastors say, hey, Robert, you, you need to pull back. You're, you're taking on too much. You need to take some time to rest. Leaders help protect you. Leaders help you not destroy yourself. Leaders, actually, it, it's leaders. There's, there's numerous things I do in ministry that I didn't know I could do, but people would come to me and say, we see this ability in you. You should do this. I, I remember these leaders coming and saying, Robert, you actually have a gift for drama. We want to pull you into this. And I was like, me, really? And, and it resulted in, in, in some really neat uh, plays and these theatrical performances we do at this church, but it wouldn't have happened if a leader wouldn't have called it out for me. And leaders have helped me and Steph have a better marriage, have sat down and helped us work through our marriage issues. Leaders have taught me about parenting. Leaders have helped me through financial situations. We are so blessed. Stephanie and I are so blessed because we have had leaders that, that we could go to and ask them questions and they cared for us and they wanted us to thrive. I can, here's what I can tell you about the leaders of this church, the, the pastors, the team at this church. We wouldn't put them into leadership if we did not trust that they cared about you. But the enemy works overtime to accuse leaders in our minds so that we will distance ourselves. Why? Because he wants to cut off the blessing flow into our lives. 
The enemy only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But a godly leader wants to give, wants to undergird, and wants to launch you. And so, of course, the enemy is trying to cut you off from your leaders. And that's what he was trying to do with Moses and Aaron. Now, let me tell you, no leader is perfect. And so that is why it's an exercise of grace for you to learn to accept, to bless, and to love leaders. Like, it's, it's not just a one-way thing. God actually grows us in grace because we have to learn. Because guess what? There is no perfect leader. So we have to learn to appropriate grace, to give God's grace to imperfect people and believe that he puts them and lets his power and his word flow through imperfect vessels. Let me tell you, if you're looking for a perfectly led church, you are not in it today. But we are good at repenting. Number three, the third group that the enemy is going to try to have you harden your heart towards is community. It's your community. It's your church. The church is the body of Christ. The enemy does not want Christians in the body of Christ. I have never seen a year like 2020 for people leaving the church. The enemy works overtime accusing churches and trying to separate people from churches because he doesn't want people in the body of Christ. Wherever two or more are gathered in his name, he is there with them. I love spending time with Jesus. I spend a lot of personal time with Jesus, but there's something different about coming and being with the body. I experience him in a different way, but of course the enemy doesn't want you to experience all the multifaceted nature of Jesus, and so he's constantly trying to remove you from the body. Now, let me be very clear. Hard things happen in churches because they're full of hurting and wounded and sinful people. But don't ever let the enemy deceive you that you have been hurt by the church. I'm very passionate about this. If, if this church doesn't work, go to another church because there are many good churches. We walk very closely with numerous churches in this city. But don't ever cut yourself off from the church because you need the body to become all that you are called to be. And there has never been a time in the history of this church where everyone got together and said, let's hurt this person. If you are hurt, you are hurt by a leader or you are hurt by a few people. But no one has ever been hurt by the entirety of all people's church. I just know that because we've never, I've never been able to get all of you together and say, hey, now let's go after Jason. <laughs> so don't, please, I, right now we're laughing, but there might be a time where you're like, I'm hurt by the church, and you're not, and especially you're not hurt by the universal church, because it's like billions of people. Okay, so no, no, I, maybe you've been hurt by a leader, or you've been hurt by a few Christians, but it's the enemy who tries to cut us off and say, I'm going to distance myself because he doesn't want you to be connected to this river of life called the church. So I want to give you, in our remaining time, some keys for not letting your heart grow hard. Here are keys for not letting your heart grow hard because I really believe that everyone listening to my voice today, everyone watching online, everyone watching this in the future, God wants you to walk with a soft heart. And I, I, I need to tell you that this is a, a constant exercise for me. 
Like there is no one that doesn't have to continually tend to their heart. That's why scripture says encourage each other as long as the day is called a day so your hearts don't grow hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The enemy is always trying. He never, as long as you are alive, until you are promoted to heaven, he will always be trying to harden your heart. Look at verse one of Hebrews three. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, who share in the heavenly calling. I want you to know today, one of the keys to not hardening your heart is for you to never stop meditating on the fact that you have a heavenly calling. You have been given a calling. You are chosen. The Bible says that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. I can't tell you how many times I quote that verse because I need to remember every day because Oftentimes, my circumstances don't feel like I'm chosen, that I'm God's special possession, that I'm royal, that I'm holy. And God says that you have a heavenly calling. It's not just a few pastors. It's not just a few missionaries. Every one of you, say, I have a heavenly calling. Say it again. I have a heavenly calling. You've got to remind yourself he has created you with a special purpose and that will keep your heart soft because what keeps your heart soft is when you think you're special. When you think you're disregarded, when you think you're not wanted, that's when we start hardening our heart. Well, people don't like me, so I don't need them anyway. Well, God doesn't like me, so I don't need him anyway. As long as you know that you are special, that you are chosen, you keep your heart soft. Now watch this next point. So number one, everyone has a heavenly calling. Number two of keeping your heart soft, you fix your thoughts on your Savior, not your scenario. You gotta fix your thoughts on your Savior, not your scenario. This takes discipline. It takes discipline to fix your eyes up here instead of down here. Now here's what I know about life. We always have challenging scenarios. Life is, in many ways, going from one challenging scenario to another challenging scenario. You will continually, Jesus says, in this life, you will have trouble. And then he says, but lo, I have overcome the world. You have to learn to fix your thoughts on your Savior, not your scenario. But here is something interesting in Hebrews 3 that you might not have ever seen before. It says, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle. Jesus is an apostle. Now, I've studied apostles a lot in the Bible, and, and, and this is something that you need to lock in on. Apostles, what do apostles do? This is, this is what Jesus has for you. Apostles are always going into new places. Now, one of the reasons we get hardened is we look at someone else and we stereotype Christians and we think, my life should look like that person. But Jesus is your apostle. Okay, apostles, they're, they're really interesting people. And, and they're always going into new places and they're doing new things. Do you know that Jesus has a new thing for you? Your life, this is why I'm so into hearing God. Your life is not gonna look like anyone else's. And the reason we get hardened is because I think my life's gonna look like Jim or John and, and then it doesn't and then I get hardened because I'm like, well, why didn't my life turn out like them? It's because Jesus is an apostle and he has a new land for you. He has new territory for you. Then the, the other amazing thing about apostles is they always create. They, they are creative. Do you know that Jesus has a creative 
plan for you. I mean, you got to listen to me, guys, because so many of you, you've grown up your whole life thinking my life is going to look like one way. Now, who in this room has walked with Jesus for 30, 40 years and says, my life looks exactly like how I thought it would? No, he, he has a specific purpose. And then the other thing is Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus, your apostle. The amazing things about apostles is they move in signs and wonders. They move in the, in the supernatural. Um, this, this yesterday was a tender day for me um, because one of my heroes, one of my uh, life mentors for the last 25 years of ministry, or actually even longer, started when I was in my late teens, uh, passed away. Do you have that picture? This is Floyd McClung. Uh, passed away yesterday, and this is Floyd, and then Joe Ewan, who's on our board from Scotland. Uh, Floyd lived in South Africa, and it was such a tender day for me, but Floyd was an apostolic leader. And the amazing thing about Floyd, besides him always going into new places, he went and started a home on the hippie trail in Afghanistan to begin with, then he moved to the Netherlands and, and led ministry on boats where they took in people off the streets and saw them transformed. I mean, he was always doing these creative things. But you know what also apostolic leaders do? Is their greatest goal is to connect people in intimacy to God. That, that is what Jesus longs for for you. As long as you think your life is going to be a perfect scenario, you're going to be disappointed. But if you want to connect intimately with the Father heart of God, then no one can steal your joy. Because oftentimes the worst scenarios are the greatest invitation to intimacy. Like the places I've grown closest to the Father is actually in my hardest times. That was the amazing thing. We were the last church that Floyd ministered in, which is just amazing. But the biggest thing he said to me is, Robert, you need a greater revelation to the Father heart of God. And if you look, that's what apostles are always trying to do is they were trying to connect us with the Father heart of God. That God really loves you, and no matter what's going on in your life, you can grow closer to him. The great apostle, but he's also, it says, the high priest. Jesus is also, fix your eyes on Jesus, the apostle and the high priest. You know, high priests were there because people sin. And one of the main reasons I see people punt their faith, shipwreck their faith, walk away from their faith is because they sin. And then that sin leads them to condemnation. And that condemnation leads them to shame and that shame makes them walk away from the Lord. Do you know you need a high priest? Do you know that today Jesus is interceding for you? Like he's taking your name before God and actually a high priest would carry the people of God. They had this ephod that represented the different people, these different stones, and they would carry the people into the presence of God. Do you know that you're not in this life alone? And so people, one of the main reasons people give up, especially on their calling, is because they burn out. They're like, I'm too tired. I can't handle it enough. You know, I've, I've burned out before, last week, and the week before. And we, most days, I feel burned out. <laughs> and do you know what? That's good because Paul said this. The Apostle Paul, he said this, therefore I boast in my weakness because when I am weak, he is strong. Do you know it's good to come to the end of your strength? The reason so many people 
eject from their faith or eject from their, their calling, it's because they're like, I, I'm too tired. I don't have the strength anymore. And of course, man, if you, if you were on our staff, you'd understand that we actually set apart a Sabbath day and, and we encourage people to actually take vacations and, and to actually get good night's sleep and, and to have those healthy boundaries. But do you understand that you don't have enough strength in you no matter how many boundaries you put up to live out your calling? That you will come to the end of your strength. You don't have enough strength to have a good marriage. You don't have enough strength to have to be a good parent. You don't have enough strength to be a good friend. You definitely don't have enough strength to do good in your job. And that's why you need the strength of the high priest who goes before the Father and makes intercession and lifts you up and carries you. And so you desperately need to, to get before the Lord and say, I can't, but you can. I mean, part of this is actually getting humble enough to just say, Jesus, I can't do it. And when you start saying, I can't, is when he steps in and goes, but I can. And he carries you. A couple more thoughts. Get God's building plan. Don't copy someone else's. Hebrews 3, 4, for every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Let me just be vulnerable with you, I've spent too much of my life trying to be someone else. I remember, I, I, you know, the, the beginning of my life, I wanted to be my, be my grandfather. He was a, a self-made millionaire and became a, a, a successful political leader. And so I just looked at him and I tried to be him. And man, I, the, the weight and the anxiety of feeling like I had to match up to what he accomplished, it was overwhelming for my life. Don't try to be someone else. Then I got into ministry. And someone was trying to encourage me. I remember an older guy in my church trying to encourage me. And he said, you know what, Robert? You're going to be the next Billy Graham. And you're like, wow, that's so encouraging. No, it just came on me like a weight. A wow. I have to travel the world having million-person crusades. And I just, I just wore that weight. And then I got, I got later into college, and I saw a, a, a guy that, incredible speaker named Louis Giglio that speaks at conferences, and I thought, that's what I want to be. I need to be a conference speaker, and I remember I was about to speak at this conference, and at Louis' conference, and they call in, I'm, I'm doing this call in, and they cancel like 30 seconds before I'm going to speak to 25,000 people, and I was devastated. Why? Because I was trying to be someone else. Let God be the builder of your house. So many of us are discouraged, we're disheartened, we feel debilitated because you've been trying to be someone else. No, you go to God and let him give the building plan for your life and that's when you can walk in. His burden is light and his burden is easy because you're not trying to do something that he didn't call you to do. You're not trying to be something. Don't look at your boss and think, if I could just be like my boss, if I could just be like my dad or my mom, if I could just be like this person, don't try to be someone else. Let God be the builder. So many of us shipwreck. So many of us walk away. So many of us eject because you're trying to be like someone else. And so you're constantly disappointed. You constantly feel like you don't measure up. No, you go, you get alone with God, and he gives you the building plan for your life. And when you enter into the building plan for your life, that is when you enter into abundant life. Because he has a wonderful plan for you. Don't, it's great to have role models 
for values. It's great to have role models and say, gosh, I'd love to have that kind of love. I'd love to have that kind of faith. But don't try to superimpose someone else's life on you. Here's my last point. So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing. Hebrews 3, 7 through 8. We must listen to his voice in the midst of the testing. How do you keep your heart from going hardened? Make a commitment every day to listen to his voice. Make a commitment every day to listen to his voice. Man, this, this past year was just test after test. There was the COVID test. There was the, the global recession test. There was the racial pain test. There was the political divide test. There was the mask test. There was the vaccine test. There was the, my kids are home every day test. There, there was the, but you know what the key is? Do you know you're not smart enough to figure this out? Have you realized that yet? Do you, have you realized you're not smart enough, you're not strong enough to figure this out? But do you know that you follow someone who is? The key for you, believer, is every day, get alone and ask God the questions. God, I don't know what to do. That, that is what we did every day of this pandemic. We would have a big test. I would get a call. What are we going to do? The government just said this. This person just said this. This problem just arose. What do we do? The key is you go on. The Bible says this. In the midst of the testing, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Scripture goes on to say, that is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray. Listen to this. And they have not known my ways. The Lord is inviting all of us. The Lord is inviting all of us to come to know him, to know his ways. He's saying, would you know that your test is an invitation? Would you know that this challenge in your marriage is an invitation? Would you know that your child and the struggle you're going through with your prodigal child right now, would you know that this situation at your job right now that where you're being opposed or you didn't get the raise you want, would you know that this sickness right now where your body is attacked and struggling, would you know that that?" What you thought was going to happen didn't happen. Would you know that these are all invitations for you to draw closer and know my ways? Because I want you, my children, to know me. And when we do that, when we know his ways, when we get to know him, our hearts just grow more and more tender because we see that ultimately he's a father who though our scenarios don't look like we want, he wants to draw near to you and to pour out his love on you and to actually walk you into what is actually best for you. Why don't we stand up?